Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Chella Toys Podcast, Grapple Arcade on bbgwrestling.com. I'm joined once again by the hairy booger, <laughs> by Skinner's last reptilian victim, by Skinner's spit cup remnants, <laughs> by the last meaty bone that Samu chewed on on his way to the ring. It's uh, Pablo. Hello. Ooh, hello. How are you doing? How are you doing? I'm all right. How are you? I'm all right. Um, yeah, just lazy Sunday. I mean, uh, yeah, I mean, not to like pull back the curtain too much, but this is a Sunday when we do this. It is a Sunday. It's it's very much a Sunday. We're so not doing it live. Either... We're not live, pal. It, it's not. It's a live, pal. We're live, pal. We're not. What it is is that this is probably released on the Tuesday, so we're recording on the Sunday. So we've had a weekend of wrestling festivities um, so far. Have you? Before we get into it, have you got anything that you want to? Bring up about the wrestling festivities that we've all witnessed over the last couple of days. This very fine weekend. No, no, I'm kidding. Um, yeah, no, it's been a lot of fun. Obviously, I don't watch a whole load of new wrestling, so when something, you know, uh, drags me in, it's obviously important enough, and uh, it moves me enough because I, I I didn't like the idea of when people mocked that fan at AEW for crying. Like I've cried watching wrestling. I'm so glad, so so glad that so many people have come out in support of that guy, including wrestlers. Um it's a wonderful thing to see that people have got that guy's back. It's the the idea that somebody's mocked for showing emotion. Um yeah, doesn't sit well, does it? Not very no. not very fond of it whatsoever. But as I say, it's wonderful to see that so many people have um, have have kind of jumped on the concept and and have been in support of that person. Um, if you're familiar with the wrestler Lady Frost, she does a lot of she's she's doing some stuff with the NWA Empower, uh, the Women's Invitational Cup at the moment. But she put out a lovely post saying if anybody can identify the Quine Farm. Um, she wants to send him like a sort of package of goodies and stuff like that regarding wrestling because that's you know we're all meant to be here for wrestling and that showed a lot of love kind of thing, um, which I thought was really really nice. And then also Tommy Dream has also come out as well saying he's going to fly him out and treat him to goodie bags and stuff and if anybody can find him and stuff. So all yeah. I'm saying is though that I shed a tear when Christian returned at the Rumble and when he won the uh, Impact title. Where's where's my goodie bag? Yeah, well you didn't get an out, did you? <laughs> It's it's that crack, isn't it? I kind of realised though, because being a Christian fan for twenty years, a lot of the reason why I was a fan of him is because he is the underdog who kind of gets, you know, he's. I don't want to say he's the Marty Jannetty of edging Christian or whatever, because obviously he's had an amazing career, but he was kind of the 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 second one, and that's it's kind of difficult. All... It's very difficult to kind of, um, you know, be on par with or be on par or exceed what we've become familiar with the concept of the wrestler edge <laughs> how do you yeah. how how do you play alongside that that sort of role and that expectation and that bar um it's it's pretty tricky and, and i understand fully all of for christian how do we get onto that from the crying fan are you just sort of well you asked what I was um, no oh, yes that's what i was watching so i watched uh I watched bits of clips because Impact's not exactly uh, making it easy for you to watch it in the UK at the moment. So I watched the clip of uh, Christian and Brian Myers 
and I was, uh, you know, obviously watched the punk thing. I've, I watched bits of SummerSlam and re- loved Edge's entrance. Amazing, uh, the, wasn't it? The brood entrance, you know. Um, yeah. One of my and... favourite things of the whole weekend, that, you know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm partial to both companies in terms of, you know, I don't prefer one over the other in 2021. Yeah. I like see what they both bring to the table. There'll be bits that I do like, bits I don't like, but whatever, that's what we all watch it for. And, um, the punk thing was obviously magnificent just to see that explosion of, of joy on wrestling fans' faces. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Edge entrance was spectacular and just, you know, just just threw a new dynamic on it all. And really, really we're in a, we're in a, a new position. dynamic going back to what we used to love about the late 90s of The Brood and whatnot, you know. Yeah, I mean, you know, the the cool thing about 2021, as you know, the, which is almost the point of this show, is that you can dip into nostalgia because there's such a vast array of, you know, areas that you can dip into and it can bring back a fan or make them, you know, uh, not wish for the good times again, you know, in inverted commas, because things have moved on. But, you know, there are wrestlers such as Edge, like Daniel Bryan, who may be doing things with AEW, probably is. Uh, you know, there's there's enough in there to, like, sort of appeal to people, even if it's just small things. And I think they realize this in terms of how they uh, sort of broadcast their product now, because there's a lot, you know, I, I would imagine YouTube ad revenue and uh, Facebook ad revenue and all that kind of stuff is probably one of their biggest things at the moment. So even if you don't watch the show on the network, if you just watch the CM Punk clip, they probably get a few pence off that. And you know, it's a huge thing for them. So well, I know that I know that was there's two official Punk videos on YouTube, and both of them were trending number one and number two. Oh, I'm not shocked. I'm YouTube. not shocked. Not that, shocked at all. Huge. Yeah. So yeah, a very fun weekend. Uh, we won't go too much into it and if you do want to hear more about the fallout of both of the AEW and the WWE shows i.e. SummerSlam weekend uh, check out bbgwrestling.com because Chris and Cole will be doing a great podcast reviewing uh, the festivities that was <laughs> better, than we... I will. Well, <laughs> better than I will better than I will now if it's 1991 I'm sorted but uh, you know if it's 2021 I'm kind of I'm an old old man who doesn't know anything so Chuck me a wrestling show on from 1988 <laughs> to 1996, and uh, I will sit there and watch it on repeat and tell you um, why I love it so. But mm-hmm. yeah, no, it's it's a uh, it's great that we can still dip into nostalgia now, and that we're not. What I will say before we move on very quickly is that, like the rest of the world, when it comes to anything, whether it's collectibles, whether it's general fandom, everybody knows that nostalgia for the last few years, especially. Um, and probably going forward for a little while longer, is a huge market point. Mm-hmm. So when you've got, you know, different IPs bringing out uh, 80s franchises again and and capitalising on toy lines or magazines or films, uh, music in the sense of vinyls obviously still huge. You know, it's, it's, it's having a big, big comeback. And it has done for the last few years, but point being, we're still living in that bubble of that resurgence of retro such as whether, again, vinyl, whether vintage computer games, vintage toys, cartoons, whatever it is. Wrestling is not different to that. That that subculture has got a subculture within it, being the retro stuff. And they know that there's a huge market for it within. So hence why we're seeing WWE bringing out, and AEW as well, actually, bringing out all these vintage line style T-shirts and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, the action figures, exactly why we're here. It, it ticks all the boxes. So 
linking into that, what we will be covering today on the Cello Toys podcast. Yeah. Oh. The, the, the crowd, you, you can't hear them, but the crowd are going insane. There they are. Yeah. billions. You just opened um, the door. They were there. Uh, <laughs> I, I, the I had to keep the door. door closed or else it would all spill through and I wouldn't be able to hear myself think. Um, what I want to very, very briefly announce, and we'll be getting into far much more detail on as the episodes progress. Um, there will be an announcement very, very soon in the upcoming extremely soonness from ourselves and Cella regarding the Cella Toy Box. Good Lord, that's filthy. Oh, the Cella Toy Box. Um, it will contain basically a very nice full-to-the-brim selection of Cella stroke wrestling themed goodies action figures are included we will say that straight off the bat the cello toy box we're going to be doing this the way it's going to work is that each time we upload an episode we will be um giving clues or hints or asking you to do certain things such as posting your favorite wrestling moment from a tag team match or something like that. We might we might have very specific sort of criteria that we want fans and listeners to to get involved with, but we'll explain each one of those things as the episodes progress. All you need to do as listeners, as fans, if you want to be in with a chance to win it, is just to make sure that you're following Grapple Arcade and Cella Toys on Twitter. And then when you see us posting about said competitions and said clues, just enter them. It's as simple as that. Just post below with whatever it is that we're asking you to post about. Whoever does all that, and then on the final episode, answers our mysterious quiz questions with the correct answers, will be the winner. A winner will be drawn. It will be a bloody lovely toy box that I wish I could um, enter myself, to be honest, but I cannot. So there we go. Cello toy box. Keep your eyes open on social media for it, and we'll explain more as the podcasts gan on. Can we enter it? No, we can't. Boo. Okay. Boo. But everybody who's listening can. Yay. Apart from us who might listen to this later. Boo. <laughs> what we do want to explain very, very quickly off the bat before we crack on as well is that there has been some changes to one of the figures that are upcoming. As you know, episode one of this fine podcast uh, talked in depth about Haku. Now, Haku has got um, the design, the drawing, the sketch out there that you've all seen from our, our good friend and fantastic designer, Mr. Tippy, Brian Tipping. He's designed that incredible looking Haku action figure for Cella. Um, now, after further discussions with Haku himself, we've decided that his stance will actually change somewhat. Haku will no longer like politically, have... Yeah. Well, hopefully not. Well, I don't know. I don't know what he stands for. Um, that's up to him. But stands for instead, brain people. Is what he, stands he stands for, for smashing dafties. Um, <laughs> instead of having the best way to describe it, based on the line, if you can all picture the Hasbro line, if you know the clothesline um, Macho King style movement, that's what Haku's figure had. So up to date. It's now changing into more of the Hacksaw Jim Duggan style um, mould with two arms either side going up and down. Now, 
The reason for that is simply that that's what Haku wanted. And who the hell are we (laughs) (laughs) to try and convince him otherwise? He also will come with a crown. (sighs) It's now officially King Haku. I'm excited because, you know, his first ever figure, uh, the prototype was going to be a King Haku. And then they changed the gear to Islanders Haku. And uh, on the back of the box, it says crown or does not come with crown as illustrated. So that's going to make a lot of people happy that there's going to be a, a King Haku figure with uh, a, a, an actual crown that suits him as well. Because the even the, the you know, the Jack's attempt, the crown was used a million times. This is going to be molded. Not it's It's going to be removable isn't it but it's going to be oh, yeah. molded perfectly for him it's going to be a true one-off because he and the thing is as well he had a different crown to harley race as well which people don't realize um so it, yeah i'd imagine this will be something really special i'm very very excited and you know the the uh the change i think was in my opinion not just because i'm scared of haku uh i think the change was probably for the best when you look at it from time gone by any time i've seen a really really good quality custom figure of haku or any that i've made myself over the years i've gone more for that body mold just because there's something about it that lends itself well to haku mm-hmm. um in terms of just the style for whatever reason um it just has and uh, the fact that they've gone down this route i think i think it's a, a good move i really do i think it's a good move and i think that I think either way, people would have been very happy with whichever, whichever figure they got. But I think this one, to me, um, gives it just an extra box ticked, you know? It really suits cool. more the kind of moves that he would do, really. Yeah. Um, because but one of the hands as well, it's like an open hand, isn't it? And you can do his thrusts. Um, yeah, you, you know, can and... put stuff in it, like a like somebody's leg that he's just ripped off. <laughs> you know? I, I can't wait to see it. Uh, yeah. Yep. And, uh, well, while we're on the matter, you might as well head over to cellotoys.net right now and uh, go and order your figures. Do it. Do it, do it, do it, do it. Yeah, the Grapple Arcade. Hands off the merchandise. Dig it. Ladies and gentlemen, retro style wrestling action figures from cellotoys.net. Bring the legends, the present. And the future, back to the classics. But we're here to talk about the newest acquisition of Cella Toys. And if you've seen them on the post that Cella have made on Twitter and Insta, you'll know that we're here to talk about demolition. <laughs> Here comes the axe, and here comes the smasher, the demolition, the walking disasters. Um, yes, indeed, and it's very, very different style from what we're used to from Cella. Um, Cella are making these in conjunction with another um, manu- another company based in the USA. So it's it's highly, highly exciting to see another style of action figures added to their um, their roster, I suppose, or what they can offer. Obviously, at the moment, we know they do the old retro four-inch style Hasbro-esque action figures. We know they've obviously taken on the elite action figures as well, as you know that you can go and pre-order Dynamite Kid now in the uh, seven-inch elite style of figure. And now we've got these that I can only describe as if you've seen 
Corinthians footballers, the small figurines <laughs> with the large heads, or um, the Japanese uh, mini big head figures, where you can, the whole range of them gone through the years and highly collectible. I think roughly about the size, you tend to see people advertising the size of a double-A battery if you're based in the UK, a um, small pencil battery. And they are looking absolutely bloody fantastic. Yeah, um, the likenesses are great. Um, They're incredible, aren't they? Yeah, for such uh, small figures as well. Uh, you know, because y- y- you find that with like certain uh you know previous lines where they've attempted to make smaller versions of bigger figures you lose a lot of the uh the detail and stuff i mean it helps that they have bigger heads as well but that adds to that you know like you say the japanese line feel uh to them uh personally i mean it's the it's the face paint that you'd probably most associate with demolition which makes perfect sense and uh what i personally love because these this doesn't get represented enough on demolition figures is you uh they are wearing their chaps from their sort of late 89 to wrestlemania 6 yeah uh, chaps and the sort and the gloves the the, yeah. the the wrist guard glove things um they look they, they look spectacular i absolutely love these interestingly they don't have circular base plates on the on what we've seen so far we've got no idea what's to come if that changes or not at the moment um but at the moment they're freestanding so they're, they're very unique they, they, they're like a cross between as i said before the sort of japanese mini big head figures or the corinthians football figures but without the base um, they're like sort of incredibly small, tiny J, LJN style figures yeah. or galoobs um, in the sense that they're molded in a particular way, but they've got the, the, the larger heads to accentuate the, the, accentuate the fact. And they just look bloody fantastic. And it makes me really excited to think of what else is to come. Um, this is fabulous. I'm, I'm overjoyed with this. And what I like as well is that, you know, they've went for facial expressions that you would yep. associate with demolition as well. They've both got the tongues stuck out, uh, both looking menacing. Uh, you know, just just little things like Smash's Tash is there. It has to be. Um, <laughs> Smash's Tash. <laughs> Smash's Tash. <laughs> uh, and there's like, you know, the, enough, uh, you know, Axe has the, uh, he's, he's not painted underneath the eyes because that's how he would be. And yep. Smash has the sort of, uh, you know, no face paint around his entire eye and it's just you know in terms of like say likeness uh they've done a, a really good job but also the they're not like photographs yes. they're in the style of figures that they are but um, i was gonna say they've got ever so slight sort of cute cartoon feel about them yeah yeah look detailed enough to feel well to not be a toy like they're a toy you know what i mean a collectible they, they look they just look spot on. I really like them a lot, and I can't wait. Fitting well with your demolition collection, basically. Oh God, yes, they would. Or your Corinthians um, footballer collection, if you, <laughs> if you want to add some new wingers. If to you your, want to uh... smash to beat up, um, I don't know, Dennis Wise. I'm guessing Dennis Wise. <laughs> That'd be one. a good fight. <laughs> that would be a really good fight. I think Smash would still knack him. Like who would win go? out of Axe and Bruce Grobbler? Um, Bruce Grobbler. <laughs> they look similar. <laughs> They've got a similar look about them. I think. Um, Who knows? Grobler's it could could be the same person. You never know. Grobler was accused of cheating and and uh, for, for for sketchy bets back in the day, like mm. allegedly. Yeah, you know, I don't even know if that, I don't even know if I need to be allegedly about that because I don't know if we went to court or not. But point <laughs> being, allegedly he was uh, a bit of a naughty lad when it was when he was in goal, um, wobbly legs and stuff. So I reckon mm. he might he might pretend that um, Axe's. Um, bested him and then it's a swerve and he gets up a bit of a red heron and um 
he goes to Axe goes to to lob her to to boot him in the face, but yeah, he saves it. Um, <laughs> yeah, going off on one now, but yeah, um, we are we are the demolition bit. figures. Yes, they are absolutely spectacular. I thoroughly thoroughly bloody love these very very much. Um, and that ties in perfectly as to why we're here today. We're here to talk about demolition, aren't we? Yeah, one of my one of my favourite teams of all time. There's so much more to demolition than what a lot of people might think. Uh, because if you're just watching the network, uh, there's a lot of demolition that should be on there, which isn't. Um, and they've they've got such an interesting story. But and and you know, uh, growing up as a WWF fan, don't get me wrong, love Legion of Doom. But in terms of strict WWF, I, I'm kind of prefer demolition. Um, which I know can be a little controversial because that's always the uh, always the argument, isn't it? But you know, Demolition won WrestleFest. Uh, you know, I probably got their figures first, and just you know, and the what on the VHSs that I got first, and uh, yeah, huge fan of Demolition. And I suppose it's fair to say as well, you know, the wrestlers in question, being Barry Darso and Belidi, um, didn't start out as Demolition. Um, there's a lot more to these guys than meets the eye, and I thought it might make sense to give a little short backstory leading up to Demolition, and to say where about basically where they came from and stuff. Um, now, obviously, these uh, these are wrestlers that we're talking about here. These action figures, they're classed as, they're called Wrestle Dudes. Okay, that's what the um, the, the lines called Wrestle Dudes, and it's Series One um, of Wrestle Dudes. Um, there are chase and autograph options available as well. Just so you know. That's interesting. Limited run of two thousand each. Mm-hmm. Now you can um, you can order these from uh, um, heroeshideout.com, and uh, Cheller are basically making them for Heroes Hideout. That's how the the connection links in. Um, there's um, a number of other people planned, a number of other characters planned, which I'm sure we will touch base on as time goes on. So this is class. The fact that it's a series one gives away the fact that there's a lot more people planned, a lot of other wrestlers planned to be part of this mint looking line. So yeah, wrestle dudes at heroeshideout.com. Now, demolition, Barry Darso. What I want to say to you, Pablo, is picture the scene. Imagine being a teacher in the... Very early 70s of a bunch of rowdy adolescent 14 year olds who were all probably about six foot ten by that point. A classroom that included Smash, Nikita Koloff, Mr. Perfect, Rick Rude, Tom Zenk, the Berserker, and Battlecat. <laughs> yeah. That's legit the crack. In the early 70s, those guys all went to school together. I would have same year at school. Um, so at one point, some poor bugger teaching geometry <laughs> would have tried to have got them lot to stop pissing about with the Bunsen burners in the science lab for five seconds and, and come and learn some politics. But no, no. Um, that as a class. So I'm, I'm, I'm picturing my class at school now and thinking about all the hard nuts and the idea that <laughs> 30 years later... <laughs> <laughs> did, did be did be in WrestleMania. <laughs> oh, absolutely fantastic! I absolutely love that fact. Um, that all those guys. I mean, just imagine that. 
Ah, doesn't bear thinking about. Yeah, the Minnesota, Minnesota crew, they you know, stretch far and wide. Um, Absolutely. Literally. You know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, largely, you know, thanks to uh, Eddie Sharp's uh, Monster Factory, who uh, trained a lot of them as well. And they all work the same bars and, uh, you know, to basically learn from scratch in Minnesota, a lot of them. That's how it works out. And, um Obviously, we're here to talk specifically about Mr. Darso going on to Smash when he joined Demolition. But leading up to that point, as you know, he uh, he spent a bit of time as a crusher, crusher Khrushchev. Um, now, what we know is that he had a bit of a disagreement with Crockett regarding contracts, etc. And uh, in early '87, I think this was just after dropping the NWA US Tag Team Titles with Ivan Koloff to uh, Ronnie Garvin and Barry Windham in, I think it was December-ish of 86. I know it was late 86. Um, so, yeah, they dropped, dropped the tag titles. And that's pretty much early 87 when he obviously decided to join the WWF. And he replaced an original smash of Demolition. And you yeah. obviously know who that was, don't you, Pablo? Well, uh, yeah, Randy Colley, who was uh, Moondog Spot. And, that's exactly uh, right. The, it, it's kind of... It's very interesting because the first uh, demolition match, because it was actually Randy Colley and Bill Eady who created the demolition gimmick. Yeah, I don't know what was going through the mind. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, and the, the I was at this bar the other night, Bill, and I saw these lads in these chaps with studs on them, <laughs> and I thought, I know. Yeah, carry on. Well, yeah, again, a very Minnesota thing when you look at Jesse Ventura and the Road Warriors and stuff like that, Lever and Chaps. And uh, and what's interesting is uh, they um, made the debut on an episode of Wrestling Challenge. Now, Challenge back in the day would be where the wrestlers would debut as the B show and they would kind of, you know, uh, then ascend to the A show that was Superstars. Now, this was January the 4th, 1987, but this was certainly not, uh, you know, the a live taping so you know it can be said that demolition go back to as early as late 1986 which is crazy because i think a lot of people don't really think of demolition until say wrestlemania 4 when they win the tag belts and you know um the fact that they were there before wrestlemania 3 is insane um and you know bill Eady, a long time later on i mean it was kind of acknowledged that because <laughs> Collie worked a couple of matches and he was getting Moondog chants and everything because you can't hide a face like that. And you then know? You kinda, I think he had three appearances in total, the Smash, um, before they were like, nope, that's, uh, that's, 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 let's stop this right now. As you said, fans shouting Moondog, you can't hide that face. Uh, and and, and the, because the thing is, though, Bill Eady before that was, and we'll get into Eady more, but he wrestled yeah. under a mask and, you know, no one would have really known that uh, Eady was you know a new person and i mean the what i love about the uh the original the very very first match because they come out with i love prototypes of wrestlers before as they evolve into what we know them as so they come out with no music originally and they had johnny valiant as the manager which again is a a, a long forgotten uh fact about demolition and they, they a part of the gimmick was because they come out in those masks and they look really menacing. And you got to remember, nineteen eighty seven WWF. It was getting colourful, but there wasn't anything quite as, um, you know, as risque. I guess when you look at the outfits and stuff like that. And uh, when they took the the masks off, you know, Axe had green hair. 
Um, they, they, you know, he looked like he had a, a slice of pizza on his face. It was like really colourful, like kind of Mad Max out of space kind of uh, stuff. And the crowd, for the first, certainly for the first like month or two, when oh, when they took the mask off, because it was unlike anything they'd ever seen before. It was, it was, as you say, it was like sort of uh, Agent X spaceship kind of. Yeah. What we found on a on a on Planet Zero, <laughs> you know, they just they look <laughs> absolutely crackers. Um, but yes, after that short stint from Mister Coley, he uh, went on to join the Shadows, following it, their name change from the Drifters. I love the Shadows. Nobody. <laughs> I love the Shadows uh, because they were on. Um, we're, we're not going to do a whole show on the Shadows because I don't think you could, even if you tried. Uh, but the uh, they were on the High Flyers tape against the uh, Young Stallions, which was basically the only match they ever had in WWF. Uh, funnily enough, they're on the WrestleMania VHS game that came out a long time ago. One of the Shadows against Bam Bam Bigelow is uh, is on that. But I love the idea of the Shadows. They wore black bodysuits, so they are a shadow. Yeah, it's, no, it's fantastic. Oh, and for, <laughs> and for five points, do you know um, Randy Corley in terms of which shadow he was? Do you think he was number one or number two? <laughs> um, I think he was, uh, he was probably number two. He wasn't. He was number one. Oh, well, he was the primary him. shadow. <laughs> <laughs> he was the primary shadow. Yeah, Mr. Collie was num- number one of the shadows. It was Jose um, Luis Rivera, wasn't it? It, it was. was it was. It was Jose Luis Rivera. Yeah. Yes, indeed, it was. Who then went on to join uh, Jose Estrada as the Conquistadors? Legendary Conquistador. I love Jose Estrada as well. We could do a whole thing on these yeah. like mystery mass teams, but uh, the, uh, we'll the, stick. There's, with a, this. there's a lot of avenues we could go down. But we'll <laughs> leave it there. Well, we're going to get onto another avenue very, very shortly because now, after discussing that factor that Mr. Corley then left, as we just mentioned there, to join the Shadows, that's when Smash entered the equation. But he entered the equation, as you've mentioned there, with a man who doesn't really need much of an introduction other than he, he's Mr. Bill Eady. <laughs> Um So, yeah, Bill Eady. 12 years Barry Darso Sr., quite a bit older than him. Do you know, randomly, who um, his two daughters' godfather was? I do not. That is something I do not know. Andre the Giant. Wow. Okay. Well, obviously, it speaks to the the friendship and the bond. I'm guessing they knew each other probably pre-machines as well, and I'd imagine Andre was pretty... You know, influential on Bill Eady's, uh career. I mean, when it, when you look at the the stuff that Demolition did with Andre the Giant, for, from Royal Rumble '89 when they first turned face, all the way through to WrestleMania six, mm-hmm. they uh, were very. You know, Andre did a very good job of putting them over. Even in uh, you know in Baba's uh, All Japan and everything, they uh, you know um, they had a match in Japan against Demolition as well. And yeah, Andre, you could tell that there was a respect factor there, definitely with Andre and Edie. Yeah, well, and it speaks volumes as well when you start moving, as you said, there into the machines territory. Because after Edie spent some time as mass superstars, we know in WF and NWA, uh, he went on to become a Super Machine in a team with um, Andre as Giant Machine and Big Machine as. Uh, that was uh, Blackjack Mulligan. Yes, indeed it was. Black Jack Mulligan. The um the machines. Interestingly, and I'll see if I can uh, word this correctly. Interestingly, somebody in New Japan Pro Wrestling under the name of Super Strong Machine believes that he was a machine before Vince and WWF came up with the idea of the machines. Or whomever came up with the machines in WWF World. So Super Strong Machine in New Japan Pro Wrestling 
well, was a little bit envious, I suppose, that the Westerners had come up with the idea after he had of being a machine, because until this point, not only was he known as a super strong machine, he was also known as black strong machine, super love machine, and of <laughs> course, machine. So he was uh, well known as a machine <laughs> in the world of wrestling. And then, you know, WWF um, introduced these three behemoths as the machines. So in retaliation to that, Mr. Um, Super Strong Machine decided to create his own stable of machines in Japan, uh, his retaliation, as a Strong Machine number one, Strong Machine number two, and Strong Machine number three. That's imaginative. <laughs> it is, yeah. And he was obviously yeah. naturally Strong Machine number one, but can you guess who uh, Strong Machine number two and Strong Machine number three were? Oh, now my immediate thought would be to go towards like Giant Baba or someone like Tenru, someone who had a connection with WWF, but I'm guessing maybe not. No, I'm sorry. It was uh, Les Battersby and Andy Peters. <laughs> no, it wasn't Andy Peters or Les Battersby. It was uh, Yang Siu Hai and uh, Yasu Fuji. So the, they basically, in a roundabout way, he had a gimmick. He felt like somebody had stolen it. Uh, so in retaliation, he kind of stole it back in the form of a stable, but unfortunately, it never lived up to the expectations that he was hoping for, his own expectations, uh, based on the success of what was happening in WWF world at the time. So there you go. Yeah. Machine. Very, in- very interesting. There's, it's on one of the best WWF uh, videos, uh, Giant Machine, who was never acknowledged as Andre ever, only, you know, part of the storyline coming over, which I'll get into in a second. There's a Giant Machine from Japan match on this best of WF tape, which is a uh, international tape, so the tape matches from France and etc. But they, interestingly, for 1987, 1986, they take matches from other companies. So it's a very interesting tape that I wish they'd put on the network at some point. But uh, I'm sure you've seen, because <laughs> Andre gets suspended uh, for no shows and stuff like that, and uh, Bobby Heenan's lapping it up that he doesn't have to deal with Andre a bit uh, for a bit. So the machines, Gene Oakland goes out to Japan. And, uh, you know, meets the machines. He goes into a Japanese record shop and looks at uh, a copy of the wrestling album. This is all winging <laughs> yeah. it as well. These aren't yeah. people who are working with Gene Oakland in any form. So it's a complete car wreck. Um, <laughs> and uh, he interviews uh, interviews the machines. And there's a great photo shoot of uh, the machines that was used for a poster. It's one of those really rare collectible WWF posters now. And uh, they had limited vocabulary. And, you know, those words... <laughs> unfortunately consisted of like Toyota and Hyundai and Mitsubishi and stuff like that. WWF and... 1980s crack, basically. <laughs> so obviously you get the uh, the cunning linguist and uh, all-round uh, business-savvy mind of Captain Lou Albano to you know, guide Naturally, you through. Yeah. Super Mario you... coming into the equation, that's what you need. <laughs> well, the, you know, obviously I don't think there were plans for a tag tag. It's very unlike Captain Lou to manage a team that doesn't win the tag titles. Yeah. But uh, they basically bring them over and it's obvious that Andre is the giant machine and Heenan keeps bringing it up and Monsoon's just like I don't know what you're talking about mate and it really riles Heenan up and there's lots of six-man tags they're on the big event in uh, Toronto in 86 in front of the largest crowd at the time uh, and the machines it, it was a short-lived thing but they ended up being machine action figures years later which is tons of fun and i've made custom machines because yeah. there's such a this so again of the time and so short-lived but i love them and uh you know who owns uh the giant machine mask do you oh who is it who's got them sunny ono uh they, really 
Yeah, WWE Hidden Treasures went out to uh, try and buy the mask off him and he wouldn't sell it or he asked for more. He, you know, proper heel manager. He wanted like 10 grand more. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so the, uh, the machine's short-lived, but uh, one of those very fun... Uh, teams and and in the WWF there was a variation of machines that were very obvious. There was Hulk yeah. machine who would, you know, change between a yellow mask and then the normal machine mask, <laughs> uh, and there ended up being a Hulk machine uh, figure in lieu of there being a, a Mister America figure because of various copyright issues. But they fought enough of the machines to make a Hulk machine figure, uh, and there was oh god, there was Animal Machine, which was George Steele in a mask. Yep. That's right. <laughs> there was uh, there was there were others. There was even Crusher machine. There was Piper machine as well. There was Crusher machine when they did a uh, a show in Milwaukee, and they had local legend the Crusher. Uh, I would pay good money to see that. Uh, just the Crusher, very obviously with his barrel chest uh, in that mask. <laughs> I'm surprised that Ed Leslie didn't run as a machine because he likes a good gimmick, doesn't he? You know, <laughs> he, might been, he, he might have been. He maybe Might have been a barber machine at some point. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, a long, oh well, a long, you know, kind of convoluted story, but a very short. There's so much went on in the time yeah. of the machines, and that makes it so interesting. But yeah, I'm so glad that we uh, spent a few minutes uh, delving into the machines completely. I love uh, it leads us in nicely, actually. You might as well take this as a segue to start talking about demolition. So over to you, pal. Basically, once uh, once Smash came in, uh, which wasn't uh, not it was not long after uh, Randy Collie, and it wasn't long after the NWA uh, thing as well. So because he had just come off one nationally televised show, uh, he, he, even though he's got face paint on, he's coming in with a skinhead, which again a lot of people don't remember. If you look at some of the early demolition uh, photographs, they're really fascinating to see at them experimenting with different looks and stuff like that, and uh, they look very menacing early on as well. Uh, you know, particularly menacing because it's like the big hard lads, but they've also got like pink polka dot face paint, and it's just like you don't know what to make of it, sort of thing. So the uh, their first music was the demolition music, the Derringer music, but without lyrics as well. And uh, they really did push the whole taking the time, taking off the masks and stuff like that, and then getting the big reaction once they took the masks off. And uh, they were, it was a slow build for them. Like you would think that, you know, they kind of came in and won the tag belts immediately. But this is, again, before WrestleMania 3, they're not at WrestleMania, as a lot of big names weren't. And their first pay per view. Uh, appearance was at Survivor Series as part of that 20-man tag team match and by that point they had Mr. Fuji as the manager That's amazing, Fuji's introduction to it all Yeah, it was just, it was just such a good fit for them um, Perfect And that was you know, obviously the time when they, you know, Fuji put the face paint on and uh, it really suited his character and th- it, there was kind of like this underlying thing of he would train demolition by you know inflicting pain on them basically (laughs) and they would like toughen them up and uh make them impervious and stuff like that and again there was there was such a a a definitive uh split between heel and face tag teams at that point a lot of the face tag teams were you know your young stallions uh your killer bees sort of younger dare i say you know more good looking more appealing to women whereas your heels were big old ugly (laughs) <laughs> you know, uh, dudes, and um, the 
demolition promos as well. I mean, they would evolve over time as well. Uh, and I get the feeling that Axe Belidi was more suited immediately, you know, because it's such a change for for Barry Darsok to go from a you know a fake Russian to uh to the demolition thing so you know you you do get the feeling that axe very much took uh smash under his wing at that point and uh you know they were on a huge winning streak and getting pushed to the moon and everything and it eventually you know one of the first big tv appearances they were in the battle royal right before wrestlemania 3 uh but they were just kind of more names in the ring sort of thing and i think then, as well just very very quickly there just just lead on from something sorry something that you said is um it ties back to something else that you said earlier on as well is that the the, the fans didn't really appreciate or know who billy d was because he'd been under a mask for a, for a, quite a chunk of time so they weren't able to identify him the same way they, they obviously did with moondog um as being a member of demolition i think what probably caught a hell of a lot of them off guard as well as that who's this guy who can talk with this incredible raspy voice because he's been under a mask for so long that it's, it's another thing it's another identifying fact that would normally give him away with that he's got such an iconic you know spoken tongue that if he'd have spoken previously very much as a master wrestler that would naturally give him away as well yeah, you know that mean? that is true but uh, you know pre- I would imagine before that because he had a lot of managers uh, yeah, before yes, then as well yeah. who would talk from quite a bit exactly. whether it be the grand wizard or you know I've, I, like the mongols were so far back that you know i don't it's a whole new generation by this point and uh the machines yeah. barely talked but you also had captain lou talking for you exactly. and when they first came in they had you know johnny valiant who you can't shut him up and but fuji was a different kind of uh, you know, more slow speaking promo, and then it would be over to Axe and Smash to really carry the bulk of the the promo with like how menacing they were. They they did talk a lot more when they were with Fuji, but an, an interesting thing about Smash because you just came from the NWA, he had a very noticeable uh, eagle tattoo on his arm, and if you notice the very early demolition matches, his elbow pad was actually around his uh, his arm. To cover his tattoo. If you look at the Hasbro figure that came out for Smash, that's exactly yeah. how it's sculpted. Um, and yeah, no, it's 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 brilliant to see. And I, you you can't. I can only imagine that when Vince heard Axe talking in a promo for the first time, it must have been like, oh, whoa, we didn't know we had this. You know, I, I can't help but assume that there was a bit of a kind of the pennies that the moment of just like you know, ah, light has struck because he's so good at it. It's so natural to him. Smash obviously was as well. He was great when he was getting on his high horse and uh, with his raspy voice too. But actually, like Bill was just such a natural at it, and it's just to. Almost a shame that it had been covered by a mask for so long, and obviously other managers who were really good at speaking. Um, so just a, a bit of a light bulb moment to let him to let him do that. And interesting, one of the one of the very obvious different uh, differences uh, between you know the powers of pain concept with Fuji, because as you say, Fuji wasn't really a talker. There was the odd word, and he put over very very much the whole point of his part of his gimmick was that. Um, he didn't speak very well. That that allowed him to get away with a bit of tomfoolery and stuff, you know. It allowed him to get away with being a bit sneaky and conniving. <laughs> um, so, but the fact that with powers of pain, neither of them really spoke either. Yeah, um, they really there was nobody speak to take the lead. Yeah, as such. Whereas with demolition, it fit perfectly because of that reason. 
they they complemented each other so much as well in terms of you know smash was more the color in the way that hawk was the color in the promo yeah and axe was they never weren't miserable you know what i mean (laughs) they were just angry and miserable and ready to brave people yeah and they never in in what like four years uh, like ever broke that ever uh even when they were faces like they weren't like they weren't like, we're doing this for the fans when they were faces. It was like, nah, we're going to bray you. <laughs> yeah, they didn't change anything about them at all, really. No. They were still angry and agitated and aggressive, and they're just going to go and smash some skulls. And uh, the fans decided that, oh, actually, we quite like, we quite like that. <laughs> yeah. Who'd <laughs> have thought? <laughs> one of the, um, I mean, the first... I guess you could call Angle, which they probably took around the house shows at the time, was uh, when Smash kick the hell out of uh, I, I don't know if you remember Brady Boone or not but uh he, he yes well he was billed as the uh, the cousin of Billy Jack Haynes in a very short-lived tag team um and that was kind of their first uh angle I would say but obviously no pay-per-views around that time uh and I mean they were both gone by WrestleMania uh, sorry yeah. by Survivor Series 87 so you know demolition you can tell because they were disqualified in the tag team match at Survivor Series, so you don't want them losing clean, but obviously they don't want them necessarily winning the match as well. So it made sense that they would, you know, push the referee and uh, it would just help build their character. Um, and and the, sadly, they weren't at uh, the first Royal Rumble in 88 on TV, uh, but at that point, they were very much building them up to uh, take the belts from uh, from Strikeforce at that point, which was actually the first demolition match I ever saw. I don't know about you. What was the first demolition match you saw? First demolition match I saw, it was quite possibly... Um, hmm, possibly Rumble 89, you know. where, where right. they, I mean, you might not want to call it a demolition match as such, um, but I think it might be the first time I saw them because that was one of the first events I I saw relatively close to that time. Bearing in mind, obviously, we're in the UK over here, so we got things. It was very different back to when we were able to watch things back then. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe it came over via a tape um, in the early 90s. I can't remember now to be off the top of my head, but I'm pretty sure one of my first distinctive memories of seeing them was in Rumble 89. Oh, yeah. It, it's definitely... there's, a, there's a very, very good chance that I saw them on... Uh, all American Wrestling or Challenge or something like that. I don't know, like whatever program syndication was being broadcast over here at the time uh, in the, in the late eighties uh, from the uh, the pre Sky dates, you know, with satellite dishes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, that's the thing. I never had Sky until like mid to late nineties, so uh, I was relying on tapes. Yeah. <laughs> quite a lot for Absolutely. like everything at that point before uh, I started, you know, getting in touch with tape traders and stuff like that. So um, an angle, which, you know, again, a lot of people kind of forget about is the beat strike force. And then Martel legit gets injured. So they find a way to take him off TV and this demolition who take him off TV. And, but around that time, the powers of pain come in and it's just the perfect match, isn't it? Cause they all yeah. look like each other. They're all big, hard lads. They all get along in real life. And, uh, you know, it was one of those really slow builds uh, where Powers of Pain with a face, Demolition with the heels. Powers of Pain was so over his faces. People forget this. And uh, they went for that <laughs> double turn at Survivor Series 88, which Madness. has been, you know, the subject of a lot of criticism. And uh, slight... I didn't see Survivor Series 88 until 
probably the mid nineties. Right. The first Survivor Series that I saw was eighty nine. Eighty nine was a big year for me in terms of wrestling. It was the year that I saw the major pay per views properly for the first time as a fan. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the it's the year that sucked me in. Uh, eighty nine and ninety was the year that it exploded with Hulkamania, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. But uh, for me, you know, uh, but eighty nine was that when when it, when I started seeing things properly, and not just clips and or, or bits and pieces. So yeah, major pay per view event. So, so, so it was uh, Survivor Series eighty nine and um, Rumble eighty nine were my probably my two first pay per views that I saw. Oh, amazing! So well, I when missed the... out on eighty eight. Yeah, well, I was going to say when they did the double turn. I mean, the yeah. the, the, the it. it, it it was a double turn, but the the real thing was Fuji went with Powers of Pain, so people thought yeah. that Fuji had turned face, which like you know, um, <laughs> and the commentators sadly can't be heard in the arena because they're obviously disgusted. Well, Monsoon's disgusted with Fuji, but people do think that uh, Powers of Pain actually or oh, Fuji turned face, which is just unthinkable mm-hmm. uh, at that point. So you know, I, I haven't seen a lot of the actual TV from that time. Uh, before Royal Rumble 89 um, so I don't know how they really got around getting it into the fans heads that demolition were now the faces because there's no reason to cheer them I, I mean Fuji's I not with them yeah. anymore so it's kind of like a really hard the only thing they had to sell was that was that was the very very slight sympathy vote they might have got for Fuji hitting them with a cane that's literally <laughs> it that's the only thing I can kind of hang anything on it's like mm. you feel so sorry for that guy there who's been mauling the goodies for like the past couple of years <laughs> uh, because his manager hit him with a cane. And it's like, you know. Well, do you know, do you, for me, the thing that established them as a face really was when Andre came in at number three and the both yeah. attacked him. That was yeah. it. That was the first probably huge pop on TV that they had got. And even then, let's be honest, that was a heel move. <laughs> like, <laughs> two, two against one. <laughs> but I so think what, it was the pop that I think for me, dare I say, even just like momentarily seconds before that, the fact they were fighting each other made them lovable. Yeah, do you know what I mean? They didn't sort of like wait it out like dastardly heels. They thought that ah, let's just go for it and started smashing each other to pieces for a minute before uh, Andre came down. So that almost felt a bit more face esque because they just more lovable, I suppose. Um, they, start, they seemed a bit more, like, you know, just just dafties rather than um, than villains, if you know. What I mean. <laughs> dafties. Yeah, you know, like well, let's, let's batter each other, even though we're a tag team, and there's no reason to because I mean, there's going to be a third opponent. That's true. <laughs> I mean, it's well, how a Royal Rumble works. Mine, in fairness to them, they weren't at the previous Rumble, so maybe they didn't understand the rules. <laughs> well, one thing I found in like. I love Royal Rumble 89 so much, but after Hogan gets eliminated, it just drops off so, like, yeah. off the end of the cliff. You know, the, the crowd <laughs> yeah. just don't care. Um, and But what I find interesting is, you know, Powers of Pain and Demolition are in that match at the same time, but they do not cross paths at all. And I think they've learned subsequently to have, if people are feuding, have them in the ring at the same time, because one, it helps the feud, and two, it keeps the match interesting as well. Um, so right, Better timing with who is who, who comes out of the ring and the build-ups, so then coming down the ring and the whole, dare I say there's even been times where they've overdone it a bit as time's gone on, yes. uh, where they kind of like, let's, let's, time, let's calculate the time perfectly as to who comes down and when they come down, et cetera, et cetera. Um, one of the best ones that was ever that I remember is the whole issue uh, with Jake Roberts coming down, you know, uh, when Jake was coming down at the ring and he, he was injured and he was coming. There was that whole sort of to and fro with Jake and I want to say Andre. Um, was, it, was it 89, actually? That was 89, yeah. Yeah, 
And there was that whole sort of that issue with them coming down, but you could tell there was a feud between the two. It was really obvious. Um, you know, if you'd just tuned in, you could tell the way that the, 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 the fans were reacting, the way that Jake was hobbling down at the ring, the way that the commentators were reacting. Um, yeah, I thought it was, I thought it was great. Just uh, that whole, that whole build to him entering and, and, and that fight. You could tell there was a feud. So it's something that you hear about early rumbles where there's an Iron Man in a rumble mm-hmm. is on subsequent interviews is how little prepared they were to be in the ring for 20 minutes nonstop where yeah. you couldn't like take a breather or anything. So Axe was the Iron Man in that rumble. He lasted about 20 minutes. He looked knackered. <laughs> he, he was, he, he'd done a shift. <laughs> done a shift. Welcome <laughs> to the rumble. This is your first one. Enjoy. <laughs> So the build up to WrestleMania five, and obviously the, the the match they have to build to is Powers of Pain. Yep. They had faced each other on a Superstars before that, and uh, but the added bonus of the WrestleMania five match was that it was a handicap match with Fuji, and uh, it added a bit of extra. You know, Fuji got the. Uh, it, it, what I love about this match is how much argument the fact that Fuji is in the match causes between Monsoon and Ventura, um, and you really need it because the match is fine. But the the crowd is that Trump Plaza crowd, and it is a dead crowd. Sadly, mm. it's not the crowd the next year when Demolition win the tag belts back when it's one of the biggest you know pops of all time. Uh, you know, Demolition. It was kind of the end of the Powers of Pain. Really, as a team, by that point, because they 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 were around longer, but they weren't going to be involved in any kind of program uh, after that with Demolition. But Demolition had been champions for a year at that point, and uh, funnily enough, they had beaten the previous record of uh, tag team title longevity, which was ironically the Valiant Brothers. Uh, so their former manager, who had the belts for three hundred and seventy days. And uh, by this point, Demolition had the belts from, what, April 88 to about July 89 when they lost them to the Brainbusters, which it, it makes sense because they're the biggest NWA team that they had and you've got to use them. And, uh, you know, but that set off a whole uh, thing because it was Tully who hit Smash in the back of the head with a chair and uh, caused some actual damage to Smash and there was a lot of heat uh there was a lot of heat after that, uh, but uh, and Demolition weren't in the tag title match at SummerSlam. They were in a very, very fun and memorable six-man tag with Jim Duggan, who painted his face and dressed up as a member of Demolition for he the did day. <laughs> and uh, faced uh, again Andre and uh, Bossman and Akeem. And for six big lads, they put on a very, very entertaining match. And uh, uh, you know, I think even Axe may have even got the pin at that point. But uh, that that was a very fun match. And, uh, you know, it's still talked about to this day because they even did Duggan in the face paint as a figure at, uh, at one point. And uh, then Demolition would win the belts back from uh, the Brain Busters when they know their contracts are coming up. But it was kind of a short, a very short-lived uh, thing because they would then lose the belts in very convincing fashion to uh, the Colossal Connection, who were a new team. Again, Andre and Haku. Uh, so that ties in lovely, doesn't it? <laughs> Just a bit. It's it's amazing how much everything does tie in. <laughs> You'd think they went to school with each other. <laughs> uh, yeah, Andre and Haku. But it just shows you, though, the only people that can really beat Demolition are your two biggest, hardest lads. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, that, and that was the point. That yeah. was the whole point. And it worked an absolute treat. 
just yeah, yeah it, it really does and the, you know it goes through rumble 90 where again demolition eliminate andre and uh it goes through to wrestlemania 6 to arguably one you know again one of my favorite uh pieces of business that there's ever been at a wrestlemania certainly uh andre is you know his health is failing by this point so he barely gets in the ring for this and yeah. uh it's it's haku carrying it against demolition and uh that's when uh <laughs> <laughs> they cut this off on the on the Coliseum video, but that's when Gene Oakland calls them the Colostomy Connection. And, <laughs> and then he's like, you know, they're anything but regular guys and all that kind of, And the whole thing is Bobby Heenan making jokes about needing a shit. And um, mm. also on the on the video, uh, Demolition talk about, you know, we're going to demolish them. But like as an axe, I'm going to chop Andre down like an oak big oak tree and yell timber and all that kind of stuff and yeah. uh you know it's it's a relatively short match but it's uh such a hot crowd and they are so that is demolition's night um i would think if you'd ask them what is their greatest night as a team they would say wrestlemania 6 because the visually the pop that they get when they, everyone stands up and you know when the music hits as well that's there's certain versions of wrestlemania 6 where they dubbed over the music and you're robbed of that pop and it's yeah, such a yeah. shame um because obviously you know copyright with derringer and, and i think that's largely been sorted now because you you do get demolitions theme on everything um but that pop and, and you know the aftermath of all of that and you know we can talk about that because that's not really dem- demolition or they've buggered off by the time andre turns face and everything but uh just it's it's amazing but it's it's also crazy that their days as a face team were numbered and that's largely because lod were due to come in at that point um charlatans (laughs) (laughs) yeah and it's i was talking about this uh with a friend about how you know demolition would continue to hold the tag belts until summertime during that time uh, Bill Eady uh, had a, an allergic reaction to some shellfish, which caused a—it's so mental. Like it caused a, a slight heart problem, which he has not had since that time. Uh, but because of that, Vince didn't want to take any uh, any chances with Eady, and brought in uh, Crush from—I uh, think he was wrestling in Oregon with Billy Jack at that point—and uh, made him the third member of Demolition and. I'm I'm a fan of it. What did you think when they brought in Crush? Um, visually, loved it mm-hmm. in terms of just another a, a big giant lad who was bigger than the other two. To be fair, um, coming in and wanting to smash skulls as well. Um, he had a slightly different approach. I'd say he wasn't as hard hitting, even though he was bigger, but he was slightly faster. Yeah. Um, the other two in terms of his, you know, is it a little bit more nimble for a big lad? I mean, because of his age, he was a lot younger. But what else could they have done? Yeah, you either end the team, you let Smash go as a singles, or you bring somebody else in. And I think they did the right thing. I think they had to go with somebody who was unknown, especially at that point in time, because of how televised everything was and how much more footage there was of everything. So if you'd have brought somebody in who was you know, moon dog. <laughs> yeah. um, they, yeah. they would have been chanted at. They would have been shouted. So I think they made the right choice. I think the only thing, dare I say, that some people might criticise was just that 
unfortunately for Crush, and it's no disrespect to him whatsoever because I absolutely love Crush, mm. um, I think that he was just more of a novice compared to this absolutely magnificent tag team who had been around the circuits for years and years and years and were extremely proficient as a tag team. And they nailed it together as a tag team. So when Crush came in, there was an obvious dynamic shift and you didn't have this powering sort of, I don't want to say leader, but you said it correctly before the way you described the, 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 the differences between the subtle differences between acts and smashes uh, delivery of promos and the way that they held themselves, if you like. Yeah. Um, Axe, obviously the senior, as we mentioned before, he's 12 years older than Smash. So with him gone as that senior figure and you're bringing in a junior, um, much younger than them both, much younger than Smash, let alone Axe, it's just, it's, there's a dynamic shift. And I think that's what people picked up on more, unfortunately. But it, it, it's not just credit to Crush, it's just that yeah. you've lost Axe. That's the point, I suppose. It was an interesting thing because I'm, I'm, 99% certain that it was talked about that Axe wanted to then become their manager, basically, their trainer, and stay in the picture that way. And for whatever reason, it was, you know, just decided against it. But you did get the fun Freebird rule. Yes. Would have been, I mean, at that point, I don't think, I certainly haven't seen any, uh, that the, I don't think there were any straight up Axe and Smash as a team matches. Uh, once Crush came in, um, they would do the free bird thing where Axe would have a small role here and there. Uh, but they kind of went for the whole we can't tell who is who, which is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's the most ridiculous part of that. They've got somebody who is roughly the same size. I mean, Crush was what? He's probably about six inches, seven inches taller, visibly as well, not just that. Like, he's a very different body shape. Uh, <laughs> and everybody knows that he's replaced Axe. <laughs> so it's, it's kind of, it just, it was never, oh yeah, it just, it's just. Well, Vince, Vince is good at that. Yeah. Vince is good at that though. Of like, he's telling the story on behalf of the viewers, but he also has to play dumb. It's kind of like yeah. when one of my favorite things, cause it's so funny when Savage would be getting beaten up and Elizabeth runs to the back and brings out Hogan. She's kind of like Lassie where Hogan's like, what's that girl? Savage is getting beat up. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, like Hogan looks in the oh. ring cause she, she's pointing and Hogan's like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait, hang on a moment. Something doesn't seem right here, brother. Um, no, you're absolutely right. And the, the whole, um, <laughs> what's the best way to describe not cloak and dagger but yeah the whole the whole sort of shenanigans of the referee can't tell them apart it's <laughs> the, the, the fa- if they'd have all been the same kind of shape and all wore, wore the sort of entrance hoods yeah asks, <laughs> yeah fair enough they've all got different face paint on and one of them is nearly a foot taller than <laughs> Well, the the height of this was the uh, the SummerSlam '90 uh, match against the Hart Foundation, uh, uh, an amazing match. I I would recommend it to anyone. It's two out of three falls. They're really hammering the, you know, uh, the free bird thing where Axe would hide under the ring. And again, it's slightly <laughs> ridiculous because the referee is an idiot if he can't tell who who is who. Uh, but LOD come down, and LOD are wearing. They hadn't uh, had their. WWF gear made by that point. They were still, if you notice, uh, Hawks got his old face paint and they're wearing the plain black tights with a dagger on the side and all that kind of thing. And uh, they had only been in the company for about a month at that point, but they immediately 
it was the whole demolition of saying, oh, well, the, who are these imposters and all that kind yeah. of thing. So it was a ready-made storyline. It was a dream match, really. Um, and demolition would then lose the tag belts to the Hart Foundation. But instead of, uh, you know, going for rematches, they went straight into the thing with uh, the Road Warriors, which went on for a good few months. And it, it, they were in main events because it, it, the main events would be six-man tags with the Road Warriors teaming up with the Ultimate Warrior, who was WWF champion as well. So demolition were used very well un- until Axe left really and then it yeah. kind of went you know they kind of moved to the undercard at that point so uh demolitions last match with the three of them was at survivor series 1990 and axe was eliminated first but what i kind of noticed uh, maybe axe realized it was his last match because he didn't slick his hair back for the match <laughs> 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 just didn't give a fuck um, <laughs> well maybe it was a case that they were all backstage and they're all having a, a bit of a laugh you know it's, i know it's my last one so i'm just it's uh so have a game of cards, lads. <laughs> well, during this time... Let it rare down. Have a game of cards, let our hair down. <laughs> what you'll have noticed, you'll have seen this, uh, because uh, this is according to Demolition as well, to, uh, to Axe and Smash. They, WWF wanted them to become such, it sounds sad, but non-entities at that point, that underneath their hoods, they wore skin-tight masks. Um, which were, they were black with the studs on them and they were skin tight, but they didn't have face paint on underneath and they wrestled with those masks for a few tapings and they actually looked very sinister with them on. Uh, but they, I think, made the decision to be like, no, we're not doing that for much longer. I think, you know, uh, Axe and Smash had a, a bit of pull. Crush probably couldn't have said anything at that point, but they uh, did go back to the face paint for... There and also actually went back to having Mr. Fuji as their manager managing the three of them. Um, and then Jack Tunney would uh then say, Well, from now on, I've had enough of this, there's only going to be two members of demolition going forward, and uh, that's that was the end of Axe at that point. And it's it's a it was a shame, uh, because it still, it still is now because demolition had such a run, um, and as heels. especially when they changed the, that was another thing as well, they changed their music to that kind of evil. Uh, music which was dubbed over on a few things um but you know it added a a real sense of menace to them i thought uh that was missing when they were faces Mm -hmm. but you know it 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 hopefully established them as heels again but i think by that point sadly vince had found new toys yeah (laughs) um so after that you know uh, they were in the rumble and then you know, a sign of the end of demolition was in about what a minute and a half. They lost to Tenru and Katow at WrestleMania Seven, yeah. and uh, Crush was basically gone at that point. And Smash continued to wrestle for the WWF until what, like maybe July, something like that. Um, and he was one of like Ricky Steamboat's first opponents when he came in and all that kind of stuff. But that was kind of the end of demolition, as you know, as regards to WWF, but they were still on the, the WrestleFest, the arcade game, Smash and Crush, and uh, they ended up being a Crush figure at the time. And, you know, they're still, that's the thing, they're so marketable that you could put them on anything and it would look impressive, I thought. And, but, you know, what speaks to the long lasting legacy of Demolition is that once the indies really started picking up and all these legends bookings and stuff like that, Demolition, Axe and Smash would 
you know, then go on to wrestle on the indies for a good few years. And there's a particular clip in the ECW arena. I don't know. If you, you must have seen this where they're teamed up with uh, one man gang, but he's also, he's half Akeem, half one man gang at this point and demolition come out. And you just hear the person holding the camera going, Oh shit, you're going to get fucked up. Demolition. I'm going <laughs> to kill you. <laughs> so it, there's a definite, um this there's, there's such a uh like a team that represented such a special time and they were on top and the fact that besides the odd you know classic superstar figure because there's been a long you know uh lawsuit of the demolition name and all that kind of stuff there's been a demand for demolition because there's not much of it out there uh in in an official sense and that's why these figures are so special absolutely i mean you couldn't want anything more from some really interesting figures coming out um obviously we're not talking about demolition hooks or demolition blast either Um, (laughs) axe obviously formed versions of demolition with later on in life Uh, no we're not we're talking about the obvious demolition of axe and smash and you know it's it's one of those things where we all know that there's demolition figures available because we love them so much. The 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 fact that Hasbro knocked out all three demolition figures is a testament to that. I, I believe personally, I think the fact that you get all three was just fantastic, and um, yeah. it's 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 um, it's a it's a rarity <laughs> to to think of it in that sense. And the fact that you can get the additional helmets as well. Um, not many wrestlers came with accessories back then, you know. But in terms of getting a hold of more interesting, fun demolition action figures as we've said wrestle dudes series one at heroeshideout.com get them now you can pre-order as of the 20th of this month so they're available as of now i think they start at 24.99 dollars limited run of 2000 so head over there head over to um heroeshideout.com and order action smash of the wrestle dudes series and for more Chiller Toys, check out this. Where the class of the past meets the greatness of the present. Nick Aldis and Chiller Toys are back with figure collections. Wait a minute, that's us. Chiller Toys and figure collections are offering this exclusive Nick Aldis Megastars of Wrestling figure limited to just 100 pieces. This is the first exclusive for figure collections and the first throwback style figure with a little bit of color, if you know what I mean. Buy the Nick Aldis limited to 100 pieces today at shop.figurecollections.com. You can also pre-order the rest of the Cella Toys Wrestling Megastars line at shop.figurecollections.com. And please, everybody, remember as well, we're going to be talking a lot more about the Cella Toy Box competition. There are going to be exclusive interesting fun wonderful toys from chella toys that are going to be added into this toy box of joy we'll be providing a series of different things that um you will need to do in order to participate and take part in the potential of winning the chella toy box but there'll all be fun things that you can all take part in such as posting your favorite tag team images such as telling us which wrestler you thought was the best over six foot nine Things like that, you know. Um, and we'll why was some... it nails? Yeah. 
we'll be posting several different things in each podcast episode and our accompanying social media posts about how you can get involved. All will be explained very soon, but all you need to know at the moment is that we're planning a bloody wonderful prize pot called the Cello Toy Box. So keep your eyes and ears open for that one. I've had an absolutely wonderful trip down memory lane talking about demolition today, Pablo. I need very little excuse to go on a, go on about demolition at length. Um, you know, it's it's one of those things that, uh, again, like sort of even going back merchandise wise, everything that came out demolition wise always felt a bit special to me um, yeah. because there wasn't a whole lot of it considering how big they were. And even with the the crush stuff, I like that there's a slight oddity of crush only being in the two pack sort of thing, and he always felt a bit rare. And mm-hmm. the fact that you know uh, subsequent releases, crush always was like the third man, but it kind of it it just adds an extra. There are again, there are so many layers and dimensions to the story of demolition, um, and so many different looks and everything as well that they're not just the 88 to 90 that everyone knows as well uh as you know hopefully we've covered that and uh hopefully you know you realize how much we love talking about these subjects as well because this is what we do just normally this is just generally what we all minutes of all days pretty much this uh what we will finish on i suppose is very very quickly demolition theme tune Mm -hmm. where does it rank in your oh. all-time favourites, if you top whatever, where does it rank? Oh, it's up there, isn't it? Um, it's it's got to be a top five because the the great thing about, I mean, the the fact that it's a full song, you know, I always found that uh, whoever had a wrestling theme, if they were going to go with them, I know this sounds mental, but like they would, the themes would also have middle eights and guitar solos because yep. <laughs> it wasn't just the same thing on loop over and over again. Uh, but it's just, it's the epitome of late 1980s WWF. I mean, it, it puts a lot of the other themes to shame, especially in the tag team division when it's just the farty, hard for... Dun, 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 dun. No, no, see, this is where I'm going to disagree. My top three favourite um, wrestling themes of all time are all tag teams from the late 80s. Right, okay. So Demolition, mm-hmm. my top three. Fabulous Rougeos, my top three. Oh, of course. Yeah. Twin Towers, slick. <laughs> like like they Jive Soul Bro. They, they all, those three are three of probably my three favourite wrestling songs of all time. I yeah. absolutely love them. But I know what you mean. There there's like there's a certain barometer where you've got like they're there, but everything else isn't quite there. Like it doesn't hit you the same way. And then you get other like really interesting, cool sort of like intro like the Legion of Doom song was class. Um, but mainly for the intro, mainly for that first sort of five seconds of that guitar. You know, that, that it was just a great song. But tag team songs, I don't know, they hold a very special place in my heart, to be honest with you. So, yeah, do, you so notice, do you notice how the heels had the better themes as yeah, well? Yeah, always. <laughs> yeah, always. Uh, just to go slightly off topic, do you remember when uh, the Rougeos were facing the Rockers and the Rockers ended up singing their own theme tune for like a week? It was amazing. <laughs> There's one thing we don't need to hear is Marty Jannetty singing like, but uh... but there's one thing we do need to hear more of. It's wrestlers singing other wrestlers' theme tunes. <laughs> I would love to hear. I would love to hear Axe sing his theme tune like. <laughs> I would love to hear Axe and Smash both. One of them go. 
and while the other one says the lyrics. I think that would be fantastic. I think that's what we need. If we do get an interview with those guys in the near oh. future, that's what we need to happen. Just that. Do you, know, do you know what I love as well that like speaks to how great they were at uh, at that gimmick was how soft spoken both of them are in real life. You would think because <laughs> Animal and Hawk could were... send a lamb to sleep. <laughs> Well, Animal and Hawk, if you hear them talk, they kind of they've got that attitude, etc. Yeah. But Bill, Edie, Al Bill is so soft spoken, yeah. and you know when he doesn't have the face paint on, he, he's like he's a handsome man. You know what I mean? Like especially back in the day, and now he's just this like kindly old granddad. <laughs> it could be a cracking life coach. Or something. <laughs> Talking through some troubling times. Um, on that note, anyway, um, we're gonna we're gonna unfortunately leave the world of Axe and Smash. We will ask you to join us again in the very near future on Cello Toys Podcast on bbgwrestling.com. I'm Fox, and this is Pablo from Grapple Arcade. We will see you all very soon. Take care. See ya.